Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave, he is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slain. From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, he has made us a kingdom and praise to God to reign with the Son. Is he worthy, is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy, is he worthy, is he worthy of
Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for coming to this earth, living a perfect life and dying on a cross for us. And God, all we ask is that we receive you. And Jesus, uh, as we as Will comes today to preach, um, Lord, that, that, it, that we open our hearts and open our minds to hear you. And God, as he has this word for us that um, we know is coming from you. Jesus, we love you. Amen. Well, amen. Thank you for the praise team this morning. If you have your Bible, we're going to pick up where we left off last week in James chapter 4. Finish up James chapter 3 last week, James chapter 4 this week. But I got a question I want you to be honest with me about today. If you will, we're going to see. Anybody here have any odd or weird hobbies? Something that's a bit, I'm not talking like painting mannequin toenails weird, but like maybe that's you, but I don't want to know that stuff. Um, but do you have any like things that maybe are a hobby that maybe some people wouldn't consider a, a hobby? I'm not sure what that would be. I'm not saying I want you to blurt them out this morning, but some of us all have some things that maybe just a tad bit different. Maybe that's not the norm. Maybe it is the norm. I don't know. I don't necessarily think it's an odd hobby, but it's something I like to do. Like maybe it's something mindless. You got something like mindless that you can just kind of go and do and not think about what's gone on during the week. It could be for you, like, like me, sometimes at night when we get the kids down and it's just been a really, really long day and it's, you know, who knows, 9, 9.30 and you're just kind of like, I need a mental break. And so you turn on whatever you can turn on on TV. You don't care what it is, even if it's like some weird kids show, it's just on, and you're just going to watch it so it's just mindless. Maybe you've got something that does that. One of the things that I like to do, I don't think it's terribly weird, but maybe, I don't think it's, I don't know, I don't think it's weird, but I've got a small wood shop at my house, and I like to occasionally um, build things, not good at it, 
I'm kind of got the, the that'll do type of um, craftsmanship. I look at it and be like, eh, that'll do. You know, and if it doesn't do, then I'll just add another screw and that'll do. That's kind of what it is. It's kind of the, the abilities. I enjoy doing it. I love uh, doing some woodworking and things like that. So I've got, a, I've got some tools and some things that I've acquired over the years and that I enjoy doing. One of the things that I love to do, one of my favorite things to do um, in building any project is to run a board through a planer. I'm not sure if you know what a planer is, but a planer is a, it's a thickness planer, and it'll basically take off levels of wood as you send a board through. It'll make it to the thickness that you need for any given project. And it's pretty fun to watch because the, the planer will take this, this beat-up, rough-looking piece of wood, and it'll send it through, and it begins to knock off all of the roughness of that until after a certain number of passes, after the blades have hit it, it is all nice and smooth. One of my favorite lumbers to use in this is cedar. Cedar is my favorite lumber. I don't know if, I, I don't really like building things with cedar because it's kind of a softer wood, but I love the way that cedar looks and I love the way that it smells, especially coming through a planer. It's like the coolest thing in the world. It smells like what you would think a lumberjack would smell like. For, I don't know what that means, but like there's a part of me that said, if you ever get fired from this job, which is like, could happen every day, whatever comes out of my mouth, who knows, but it could happen all the time. Like it's a week to week basis here. But I feel like that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to run a chainsaw, and I'm going to smell like man for the rest of my life is basically what I, what I want to do. So running, running cedar boards. I love cedar because cedar, it's a, it's a soft wood, and my planer really likes it. It likes it a lot. You can send it through there. It doesn't mess up my blades. But when you look, if you've ever seen rough-cut cedar, and I have a bunch of it at my house, maybe one day we can have a little woodshop date at my house, and we can all do this together. It's a lot of fun. I almost thought about bringing one, but I was like, hey, look at my cedar board. I thought it was kind of weird. But anyways... Um, but you take a cedar, cedar board, and you look at it, and you look at this board, and you go, man, this is nothing. It's rough cut. You can see all the saw marks. It's awful. All, when, when it goes through the, um, the sawmill, it raises up all the grain. And you just kind of look at this board, and you go, what am I ever going to do with this particular piece of lumber? But then you send it through a planer, even just one go, and you begin to reveal the grain. And you get to reveal how pretty it is. There is some cedar that looks like, it's almost like constellations with all the knots. And it's pretty like, I've got this one piece I don't even use. It's how nerdy I am. You're learning, like, you're learning a lot. You're going to be like, I don't know about this guy. It's kind of weird. Here we go. But I remember I ran a piece of board through for a project. And I was like, I'm not going to use this. I'm just going to look at it because it was so pretty. And so I have it at, at, in my shop just sitting there because it's, this, the grain is just incredible. It almost looks like stars with the knots, and it's just a beautiful piece of wood. But what happens is I ran that thing through. The grain was revealed because it had been kind of whittled away, worked away, and smoothed. When I think about that, and I think about where we are in the book of James, or where we are when we talk about when we open up Scripture, that's kind of what the Bible does for us and what it should do for us. It should take, when we read it, it should be like a thickness planer, putting wood through a planer that when we read this, it begins to knock off these rough edges that we have. And then hopefully when our life is done, we can sit there at the end of our life and we go, okay, this is where I was and this is where I am now and praise the Lord for what he has done in my life. As we continue to walk through the book of James... I think we kind of land on one today. If you haven't already been, you know, struggling with the book of James, I, I told Pastor Jeremy this week as we were talking, like, I hate the book of James at this point. I loved it. 
Loved it when you've never had to preach it. It's been great. But all of a sudden you preach it and you sit there and you have instances throughout the week that happen and come up. And in the middle of your mind, you're going, control your tongue, control your tongue. And you're not doing it. And like, how much is this actually getting in your heart and out into your life? And so I remember texting him because I knew what was coming up. I'm like, man, I'm not really thrilled about talking about this one. This, like, we're not, this, this passage isn't going to be fun. So I'm warning you now, this may not be a lot of fun for us. But our goal as believers is to continue to sit under the word of God that we are continually just transformed from something that was rough into something that is now the image of Jesus. And so today may not be the most fun for anybody. But then again, it may be a great day for you. I don't know. It wasn't fun for me this week as we began to plan and prepare. Because I felt like this was just a dagger in the heart of me this week. So if you would, James chapter 4 is where we begin. A couple things we need to look at. For some context, James is still talking to the church. He's talking to the bride of Christ. That, that particular bride of Christ will come in handy at the end of this particular scripture passage for the day. This passage should very much remind us of what we read in James chapter 1. Verse 26 and 27, let me remind you that if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religious is worthless. Religious that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And this is the important part. And at the end of 127, it says, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So James here is continuing or, or picking up with this this idea of what it means to be unstained from the world. So grab your Bible. Let's all stand together if you're able. We're going to read to honor the Lord. James chapter 4, 1 through 12 will be our text this morning. The Bible says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose... It is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and destroy but you are but who are you to judge your neighbor mm. let's pray together 
Lord, we come to you now. God, we pray the same thing every week. Is that what happens within these walls, Lord, transforms us, changes us to make an impact on everything outside these walls. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that you would be with the text, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be through it, working in and through every single word of the text, Lord, that we would be transformed. We would be taken from this rough piece, and we would be transformed into the image of Jesus. That is our prayer, God, this morning. And so, God, may your Holy Spirit be at work this morning, and may we be changed forever. And we pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, James ends um, chapter 3, as we, we got into last week, by saying that it would be wise, that it is wise to bring peace. That's kind of where we landed last week. And he kind of, he continues in this kind of this theme of, of, of kind of worldly wisdom. It's, it, it is a wise thing to bring peace. But then he asks this first question in, in verse 1. He says, um, he says in verse 1 here, he says that what causes quarrels among you. So he's, he says it's, it's good for us to be, we need to be people of peace. But then all of a sudden he says, but however, what is this that is causing quarrels among you? In verse 1 there. And so as we pick up on this theme of what it means to have genuine faith over the course of the, the book of James, what this book is, in, is about, we have to understand that worldly discord has no place in a life of genuine faith. Worldly discord has no place in a life of genuine faith. If we're going to have, if we're going to claim to have genuine faith, if we're going to claim that we truly love Jesus, we cannot have discord. And what is he talking about? He's not talking about discord with the world, first and foremost. He's talking about discord within these walls, within these fellowships. So this is, again, directed toward you and I, again, to the church. So he says here that worldly discord has no place in a life of genuine faith. First thing that we want to point out here is that worldly self-centered wisdom creates all sorts of issues. In verse 1, he says, what causes these quarrels? Quarrels is a better word for battles. This isn't just like kind of like a little spat, like little toddlers. And This is like worldly. I mean, this is, what, what is it that causes these battles among you? These fights where we pick sides. Well, this is... I'm right here, or they're, I'm right there, they're wrong. Like, what is it that causes these fights among you, church? Is it not that your passions, that your desires, our desires, not the desires of the Holy Spirit, what God has for us and desires to be, but our passions, these worldly passions, are at war within you? Now, this is a battle that we always have to fight. When you become a believer God doesn't sit there and say, listen, you never, it's easy. You're going to be, it's going to be chill. You're never going to have any issues. You're never going to have any battles. You're just, your life is going to be great and awesome. He doesn't guarantee any of that stuff. But he also says, listen, whatever you struggle with pre-Jesus doesn't mean you're not going to struggle with it post-Jesus. There's no guarantee in that. And he says, whatever it is that these struggles and these battles are, that whatever they are, it's our passions, it's our desires, it's the sinful nature, the things, because it's the, the things that we want. It's our desires. It puts us on the top. We're the, we're the people, we are the one in which we want to be exalted. It's our passions and our desires. It's the passions of the world, the desires of the world, and not the desires of the Lord. And they're always at war, always. They're always at war. 
I've been a Christian since I was 16. I'm 43. You do the math. Some of the same things I struggled with at 16, I'm still struggling with at 43 years old. I've been a believer more, been a believer longer than I was ever not a believer. Because there is something within me that is always at war. And it's these sinful desires and passions that I have. He continues in verse 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. Now, I don't really, there's, there's, there's no really evidence that we really talking about murder. But we definitely can relate to the fact that we can drive around any neighborhood, especially if you're, I don't know if you're me, maybe you are me. I don't know, you can drive around any neighborhood and see uh, a truck parked out in the driveway and go, man, I wish I had that truck. Oh, man, that was, that's a good looking truck. I would love that. It'd be awesome. Man, look, man, they've got a four-wheel. They've got a side-by-side. They've got land. That'd be awesome. We desire, but we do not have. And what does James say? So you murder. I don't want to go as far as to say that he's talking about physical murder here. But anytime, you guys remember what Jesus said about if you have hate in your heart for your brother, what is it? It's murder. Because you hate them because they have something that you don't have, and therefore, murder. But we've also seen in our culture, at least when I was alive, I don't know if you remember this too, but like back in the day when Jordan launched his shoes, so this is for some of you old school folks, OGs, we're here. Remember when Jordan would launch his, when launched his, his shoe stuff, they were, everybody wanted a pair, and you would always read stories about somebody being killed over a pair of shoes. When iPhones first came out, before everybody had an iPhone, if you had an iPhone, there were always stories about people being killed because of an iPhone. I'm sure it still happens today. It just doesn't hit the news. And why? It's because our desire, we desire certain things, and we do not have them. And so we, in fact, whether we do it physically or whether it's in our heart, we murder. You covet, you covet at the end of verse 2 there, you covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Verse 3 says, and you, uh, you ask and do not receive, but why? So we're asking for something, but we do not receive it because we, we ask wrongly and we spend it on our own passions. I remember when I was, a, uh, when I was in, I don't know, I was probably elementary school. Um, maybe you've all had a prayer like this. I don't know if you have. This is kind of a real place. I'm just going to kind of spill everything, and you get, to, you get to judge me later, if you will, right? Maybe you've been there. I remember as a kid, I prayed for a lot of things. And one of the things I prayed for was a Ferrari F40. <laughs> I did. I prayed for it, and I knew because I prayed for it that God was going to bless me with a Ferrari F40. He, may be, he's, he hadn't answered that one yet. Maybe it's coming. I don't know if it's coming or not. But what was the point? It's not about what I'm asking for, what I'm praying for. It's because I'm asking with wrong motives. What is the reason for me wanting a particular thing like that is so that people could look at me and say, oh, look at him. He's driving around in a Ferrari F40. Now, Will rolls up in a Ferrari F40 uh, next week. There's something wrong. Um, call the police. He's doing something wrong. Um, so we, we ask for things, but we don't receive them. Why? Because God knows what is happening in our heart. 
He knows the intentions of why we ask for those things. Why is it that you ask for it and you don't receive it? Well, it's because we ask wrongly and we're going to spend it on our own desires. Now, I know some of y'all, you may not have been praying for a Ferrari F40, but some of y'all were praying on that Powerball this last week. I was praying too. I was hoping I was going to win it. It was going to have to be an act of God because I didn't buy a ticket. Like, it was going to have to be. Like, if I came out with that $2 billion or whatever it was, we're all going on vacation. It's going to be great. But it was going to have to be an act of God. But again, what is it that, that we're praying for and we're asking for? We're praying for things like that. We basically say, God, listen, I don't trust you to take care of my life. Man, it would be great if I had $5 million, $2 billion. But again, what am I saying? What, is my, what are my passions? What my passions want to win it? And we want to drive nice trucks and have land, but why? It's because we're ultimately saying, God, I don't trust you to take care of me. I can do it myself. So we come to the end of verse 3, and then James here transitions into one of the most strongly worded calls to repentance in all of Scripture. Now, I need you to remember who this is written to. This this call to repentance isn't a call of repentance to salvation. This is a call of repentance to the church, to those who have been saved. So in verse 4, he starts, and it's not a fun one. It says, you adulterous people, adulterous people. Adulterous, you're not faithful to God, but we're faithful to our own desires. Have you all ever seen that girlfriend-boyfriend meme that uh, comes up every now and then? And it's really funny when you've got a guy and a girl that are walking hand in hand. We're talking interlocked fingers. We're not talking like, eh, like, right, we're talking interlocked so you know that it's really real. And they're walking, and they're walking one way, and the guy's on this side, the girl's on this side over here, you know, whatever. And then another girl passes by, and they're walking, and she's got her head straight, and he's looking back, looking at the other girl. Have you all ever seen that meme? And it's always something. It always, it'll say something like, uh, my husband and a new truck, or, you know, my wife and new shoes. And that's what it all, you know, how it, it's all this idea that there's always something better over here. And I think that's kind of the idea that James is talking about here when he's talking about you adulterous people is that, that we're not focused on the bride of Christ, the church. We're focused on everything else that we think is better. And so he sits there and he says, you adulterous people, you're not faithful to God, but you are faithful to your own desires. So in that particular meme, that could be us walking with God, but our eyes are looking backwards at our own desires and our own passions. So you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So how are they adulterous? They're adulterous because they become friends with the world. So what does it mean to be a friend of the world? We've seen this, we've, we've talked about this and preached on this for the last several weeks and as we journey through the book of the James. In chapter 2, verse one through th- through, uh, excuse me, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, a friend of the world is somebody who discriminates. In chapter 3, it's somebody who has negative speech. 
Right now, we're talking to, or last week we talked about envy and selfish ambition. That is a friend, somebody who has the characteristics of a friend of the world. What else is a friend of the world? It is the pursuits of destructive desires, which is what we have just talked about here shortly ago. So basically, the enemy of God, if we, if we do not fight the desires within, then we, in fact, fight against God. He continues on. Or do you suppose it is no, to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? I get really confused on the word jealous and jealousy. I'm not the sharpest spoon in the drawer, but I do know that jealousy isn't, the, isn't like a, like it's really supposed to be a bad thing, right? We're not supposed to be jealous people. I, for one, am not a jealous, necessarily a jealous person. It kind of drives a particular lady in my life mad when I'm not terribly jealous. And we don't want to be jealous. I don't want to be a jealous husband. However, there are two types of jealousy that we need to understand. There is the angry, jealous guy. We'll just, we'll just use guys. We're just going to use us as an example just because it's something I'm familiar with, that, that being a guy. Um, when, and you, you see this all throughout movies and throughout TV, when you have, if, if, if your wife or your girlfriend or your significant other Maybe, you're not, maybe you haven't had the DTR yet. You haven't defined that relationship, but somebody that you're kind of digging, right? And you guys are out at some place, and she is actively, or God, ladies, this could be too, your husband is actively flirting with somebody else. You would be jealous, right? Angry jealous. Because if she was there now, now if, she was, if you guys were out at some place and somebody was hitting on her, guys, and she had nothing to do with it. And she's just kind of like, like in this, you know, when you're, when you're like just kind of weird, like, I don't know what to do in this situation. They're just kind of like, I need to get away, whatever. Now, you would also be jealous, but you wouldn't be jealous at her. You'd be jealous at the guy. Why? Because you are jealous for your wife. If somebody came, I don't know, we're at a wedding. If we're at a wedding and somebody came and, and a guy began to talk with my wife without me standing there, I would be jealous. Not because I'm afraid of anything and fearful that anything is going to happen, but I am jealous for my wife. That is my wife. My wife would be jealous as well. Why? Because I am her husband. We're not talking about a jealousy that is unbiblical when God says that he is jealous. He yearns jealously for us. Why does he yearn jealously for us? Because he loves us. He desires us. It is, we are his people. And he will fight for us. Why? Because he loves us. Because God requires unwavering loyalty and allegiance. Not from everybody. But from those to whom he is joined to himself. And that is us. Because we are his bride. But what does he yearn jealously for? He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. If you remember in James chapter 2, 26, we, we kind of re, we'll revisit for 
um, for this moment, but he says, for the body apart from the spirit is dead. What spirit are we talking about? We're talking about the life-giving spirit that we have, that he has given to us, that he breathed into us in James chapter 1. I'm sorry, in Genesis chapter 1. So the spirit, so he, the Bible says he yearns jealously over the life that is, in fact, in us. So he yearns jealously for you and I. If you're a Christian in here, that's who he is yearning jealously for. Church, James tells us, James tells us that the problem among us, that the problems among us come about due to the evil desires that lead us to evil actions. It is evil desires that lead us to evil actions. And we have to recognize that living according to worldly wisdom is something that God does not take lightly among his people. And how do we know that? He said we are adulterous. If we're living by that type of worldly wisdom, worldly standards, we are an adulterous people. Therefore, if we are walking hand in hand, just like that meme with the world, and we're not, we're not on right terms with God, then we're showing where our allegiance lies. That it is, in fact, lying, lying with the world rather than to God. So James, again, tells us worldly self-centered wisdom creates all sorts of issues. Second thing that he tells us is what we need is not a slight adjustment. We need a complete return. Let me remind us again who this book is written to. It is written to you and I in the seat. He's not talking about somebody who doesn't know Jesus. He's talking about you and I. It's not a slight adjustment. It is a complete return. In verse 4, or um, in, in verse 6, James writes, but he gives more grace or a greater grace. Therefore, it says God opposes. He actively opposes the proud. Those who think they have it all together. Those people who think that they've got this all in The church member who believes that they are they're, they're, they're perfect in all things, that they're right, that they can control their tongue, they can do all of these things that we've talked about, that they're proud. Those, they, those who think they have it together. But, he says, so God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble are just those who have submitted to his leadership. In verse 7, he begins to give us action steps toward this repentance. He gives nine imperatives. These are the things, imperatives are those things that you tell your kids to do. Or you tell your employees to do. Do this or do that. Go clean your room. He gives us nine of them and he says, Submit yourself to the Lord. Humble yourself to the Lord. Resist the devil. Actively submitting to the Lord's rule means to actively refuse and to bow down to the devil's authority. It's changing allegiances. It is saying, I was following this guy, I'm going to follow this guy. Resist the devil, and what will happen? He says, he will flee from you. In verse 8, he says, draw near to God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. How do we do that? How do we draw near to the Lord? Several ways to do that. First and foremost, it's getting to know him. By spending time 
in his word that tells us about him. Tells who he is, his character. You draw near to God by being in fellowship with other believers who are also trying to draw near to God. We draw near to God through worship. And he says that when you do these things, that he will, in fact, draw near to you. I think the darkest times of my life is when I'm not walking with the Lord. Again, I've been a Christian for however many years that is. What was it coming up on 30, 30, 27? Quick math. 27 years. 27 years. And the darkest times in my relationship with Jesus is when I'm not walking with him. You would think I'd have that figured out by now. Because he says, if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Then he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Make yourself clean. Repent, you double-minded. Verse 9, be wretched, afflicted, be afflicted, be broken, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What is he talking about? He's talking about a church who thinks they have everything under control. The people have everything under control and their life is joyful. That they're laughing and they're talking. There's joy in their life. But what happens is that they are still in need of a repentant heart. And so he is saying, be wretched, mourn and weep. Let your laughter turn to mourning and your joy to gloom. Understanding that you in fact need a repentant heart. Verse 10, he says to humble again. Humble yourself before the Lord. Submit to God's leadership and recognize our own need for him. And what will happen after that? He will exalt you. James is telling us that God gives us grace that far surpasses our ability to sin. There is nothing that we can do that is going to out-sin God's grace. There's nothing in his grace that, that can be, uh, there's nothing that can be done that his grace cannot cover. However, this great grace comes with the stipulation that we turn from our sin and submit or be humble, humble ourselves to the lordship of Jesus. And so he says that this isn't a slight adjustment. This is a complete return. It's like when you, when you become a believer, not, like I said, not everything is perfect, but you begin to walk with Jesus and then, you know, as you stop walking with Jesus, you begin to get further and further away from him to the point where sometimes it almost feels like we're walking backwards of him. And I think in this case, this is very much what has been pretty clear in James that this is what the church is doing. And then what does he say here? He's that we don't need this slight adjustment. It's not like a whoop, let's get back on track here. No, he's saying it is a complete return to him. And how does that happen? It comes through repentance. And so we submit ourselves, we resist we draw, we cleanse, we purify, be wretched, mourn, weep, humble yourselves. Those are all the things that we have to do to be repentant. The third thing he tells us here is how we speak about each other can betray what we think about ourselves. How we speak about each other can betray what we think about ourselves. Verse 11, do not speak evil, same word as slander. Do not slander one another, brothers. The one who speaks against his brother, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. 
But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. I don't know about you, but that confused me. The first thing he tells us, we don't talk, we don't talk stuff about each other. We don't slander one another. Regardless of what happens, regardless of what room you're in, who's around, we don't talk about one another. We don't slander one another. Because the one who speaks against his brother or against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law. What law is he talking about? This goes all the way back uh, to the beginning of James when he talks about the royal law, which we talked about is love one another as you would love yourself. So when we speak evil against somebody, we are in fact speaking evil against the law because we're not doing what the law has told us to do in the first place, which was to love each other well, to love one another, to respect, to honor, because they're made in the very image of God that you were made in. One commentator writes, So James assumes that criticism of a fellow believer contradicts the demand that we are to love our neighbors. Therefore, if we fail to keep the law when we slander and stand in judgment over one another, that we are in fact judging them. We put ourselves in this position of deciding what laws should be obeyed and which ones should not. That should be an indictment on all of us. Like when I read that, like my heart just, oh, just gets tight. Like, because how many times have I done that? Where the Bible tells me to do one thing and I do the exact opposite. And I am, in fact, the judge who decides what is right and what is wrong, what should be done and what should not be followed. And therefore, we stand in judgment over one another. In verse 12, he says, there's only one lawgiver and judge. He, he was able to save and destroy. He's talking about Jesus. But who are you to judge your neighbor? He does not leave this very fun for us. Who are you to judge your neighbor? The term judge here is ultimate judgment. So he's gone from taking matters into your own hands and, and making the law your own. And he's now that you're a judge over what people do and say and all this and the like. But now he's taking it now and he's talking about eternal things. And how many times have we done this? We looked at somebody and looked at their actions. I mean, they, they, there's no way they can be a Christian. And he sits there and he says, but who are you to judge your neighbor. What does he mean? He means, he's talking about the ultimate judgment. We are making, we're making, we're passing judgment on people, on whether or not they truly are believers or not, saved or not. Now, this doesn't discount for accountability. We're not talking about accountability. We're brothers and sisters come together, and we talk, and we, we love, and we walk through life, and we want to hold each other accountable for their sinful actions. Yes, that is a part of the Christian life, and one in which I'm very much for A little personal time of reflection, something that's happened with me this week, being held accountable of some actions. I'm for it. Why am I for it? Because I want to be like Jesus. That's my desire. And I need people to come along and say, listen, you're a moron. You shouldn't have said that. 
You're quit doing that stuff. Why? Because I want desperately to be like Jesus. And he says, who are you to say whether or not somebody is in fact a believer or not? So church, we've got to take a look at ourselves. We've got to look deep inside, and we have to ask ourselves if we're marked by godly wisdom or worldly wisdom. When we look inside and, we, and, and the Lord shows us our sin, we have to turn from it, and we have to turn toward him. So what's the call for us, church, this morning? The call for us each week as we come in this building, for us, every single week is repentance. How do we repent of our sin how do, and we submit ourselves to God. We resist the devil. We draw near to God. This is, our, this is our goal this morning as we come and as we seek the face of the Lord and we ask him to please, God, forgive us. So how do we repent of our sins? We're submitting to God. We're resisting the devil. We're drawing near to him. We're cleansing our hands and purifying our hearts. We're broken over our sin and we humble ourselves before the Lord. It's just, it's not, it's not that difficult. The map has been laid before us. So we need to identify and repent of sin or sins in our life. We're going to do that here in just a second, give you the opportunity to spit where you're at. Maybe you wanted to come and just spend some time of prayer um, for, for any reason up here at the front as we go into time of response. But whatever it is that happens and wherever it happens, as we walk into this place, we do not want to leave this place without an encounter with the Lord, without having an opportunity to repent of our sins and to be forever changed. That's not just for somebody who doesn't know Jesus. That's for us as well, believer. So we want to take time and we want to lay those things in our life before the Lord this morning. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. All this is just a bunch of gibberish, and I get it. I was there. None of this stuff makes sense. I get it. Maybe there's something that's going on in your heart that's just wrestling with your heart like knots. I can't, I, it's hard to explain. You can ask everybody in this room about how they came to know Jesus, and every single one of them is going to be different. How did you know? I have no idea. But I knew that when I sat there and I heard the gospel preached that I needed a savior and all I could do was submit my life to him. It wasn't the words that came out of my mouth. It wasn't a perfect prayer. It was like, God, I don't know what I'm doing, but hey, I know I need you. I don't have you. Let's work out a deal. That was kind of it. It's not a perfect prayer. But if you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is calling you to himself. He's calling you to himself. He desires to have a relationship with those in which he's created. And all you have to do is simply repent of your sins, as we've talked about all morning long. Repent of our sins, and you trust him as your Savior and Lord. If you've never done that here this morning, please don't leave these, these, this building this morning without coming to a relationship with Jesus. Here in a second, we're going to stand together. We're going to sing one worship song, and then we're going to make our way out. If you have, want somebody, maybe you're, you're a Christian here who needs somebody to pray with, maybe you're a believer, maybe you're not a believer, you just want somebody to pray with you, Pastor Dave and Pastor Jeremy are going to be here. They're going to be up here at the front, willing and wanting to pray with you for whatever you need prayer for. 
If you're here today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you want somebody to talk to you about that, I'm going to be out in the lobby. As we stand together, lights are going to go down. We stand together, make your way out there. I'm glad to have that conversation with you. Or maybe you're here today and you want to link arms, hit your wagon to us and what God is doing at Eastwood. That conversation can take place out in the lobby too. I'm more than happy to have those conversations with you. But if you're here today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I beg you, don't leave. Don't leave today without knowing him as your Savior and Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for just this morning that we have to come. Lord, what a privilege it is to be here with, with our friends and family, with other believers, maybe new, new friends, acquaintances, whatever it may be. God, we get to come this morning. We get to worship. And so, God, we thank you for just this time. And Lord, we're asking you to do and to continue to do a good work in our hearts. Lord, for that Christian in here, Lord, this is a time where we can repent and submit ourselves and sometimes, Lord, resubmitting ourselves to your authority and to your leadership because, Lord, we can't do it on our own. So, Lord, may this time be a time of, of repentance, of healing in our heart. Lord, may we be transformed continually. Baby step our way, Lord, to the image of Jesus. That's what we're praying for. Father, for that uh, person in here who doesn't know you, I pray, God, that you would give them the courage to just meet me in the back. Or maybe meet one of the pastors here, maybe Pastor Dave or Pastor Jeremy, to have that conversation and how they can come into a relationship with Jesus. So, Lord, in these final few minutes, may you continue to work in our hearts. We love you, and we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand together? And we're going to worship together one last time today.